Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Don't Think Act podcast. Today I'm chatting to Michelle Payne, a native of Essex. She is one of the hardest working people I know. She is an actor, a writer, a director, a producer, an assistant director, an associate director. She wears many, many hats and they all fit. She is brilliant. Sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of the Don't Think Act podcast. Hi. Hello. Hello. I should put my AirPods in, shouldn't I? Are they here? Yeah, if you want. Yeah, whatever's easy. Um, I think that gives me a better mic then. Cool. Yeah, I'm um. I'm using my my new mic for the for the first time. Oh yeah, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> Industrial. Little Black Friday treat. Oh, gorgeous. Um. So yeah, it's a bit of an experiment. How you How you doing? Are you okay? Yeah, I've been good, thanks. How are you? How about you? Yeah, yeah, all right. Just um, yeah, this has been keeping me so busy. Yeah, great. <laughs> Um, yeah, let me know when you're all set up. Hmm. Yeah, these aren't working. Why would these not be working? Uh, sorry, technically inept. It's, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I said that all podcasts don't start like this. <laughs> oh, I guess it's fine, I, is it? I, if I, can, it's still... I, can, I can hear you, so that's amazing. Right. And um, I'll, right. I will sort out the audio. I'll sort it out in post. <laughs> and I'm happy. I'm happy. Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, let's go for it. You are listening to the Don't Think Act podcast with Ed Ismail. Welcome, Michelle yeah. Payne, to the Don't Think Out podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. Yeah, um, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. And I'm really grateful for you to uh, for you to give up some time for me. Um, really appreciate it. Um, so we are here. If you've, if you've not listened to the podcast before, um, I um, I talk about people's acting slash creative journey. Yeah. Uh, and I always start at the beginning. So Michelle, yeah. where were you born? I was born in Haroldwood Hospital. I actually had to check this with my mum because I listened to Kate's one. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, was like, I was definitely born in Haroldwood, um, which, and again, my, that hospital doesn't exist anymore. Oh, no. um, yeah. So, yeah. So I was born in Essex, Haroldwood Hospital. A, a growing trend. There must be something about people from Essex being born and then hospitals closing down. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Says a lot. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and where do you live now? Uh, currently in Raynham in Essex, which is a little village next to Dagnum. Amazing. And did you did you grow up in either Harrowwood or Raynham? Yeah, I've I gr- I've grown up in Raynham, and I've sort of gone away, come back, gone away, come back, <laughs> done some things for a bit, and yeah. Currently, I mean, I've spent a lot of this year and last year on tour, but yeah, my base is Raynham. Yeah. Yeah, and what and what was it like growing up there? Yeah, I think okay. We have like it. I think it is one of those places that sort of family don't tend to move away like I remember my grandparents were all really close by like on both sides um loads and loads of cousins second cousins um and we all sort of still live in the same area which is really nice yeah it was it was always quite full of family I guess growing up um but like in terms of creativity like it's not a very creative space um yeah there's not really a lot to do in terms of when I decided I want to do this career I think everyone was quite shocked um we're not very theatery people so yeah not you're not the only person you're not the only person in the family that's creative though are you because your sister is also a performer oh my god yeah so lucky (laughs) that um my sister is uh, a singer primarily but she's a musical theatre actor but a singer vocal coach um multi-skilled with sort of musical stuff and uh acting she's a good little mover as well is my sis but yeah I think we're the only two that sort of like fell into that and then a couple of my younger cousins were like oh maybe maybe that could be a career but we were like we kicked that off um <laughs> so, so how did how did like performing or creativity come to you how, how young were you I like I remember making up little shows and things in in our living room and you know making costumes out of people in the house clothes or blankets and making full sort of stages in the house wherever we could and that was both of us together I think it did start me being like stand there Charlotte and hold this and like I would always be all the lead characters and Charlotte would have to be all like the little extra parts like the ensemble. And I think how the tide has turned. (laughs) I can't think of anything worse than like my sole voice on a stage now. (laughs) But um, yeah, we used to make up little shows. And I think I think a lot of that came from like we're both huge Disney fans. And I think Mm. it was like watching Disney movies um, and like having that music. Music was always in like my mum and dad have very eclectic taste in music. So like there's always quite a lot of music in our lives, even though it wasn't sort of sung or played it was very much um like cassettes and um cds <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah not like it's not like they were you know playing the cello or whatever it, they, it was like listening to like madonna and acdc and like a real mix of sort of whatever was about in the early 90s yeah that's cool i can relate to a lot of what you said so far actually because I, I came from a big family so some well still do um and um yeah like every weekend we were either at someone's house or someone was over at our house like and yeah. had loads of cousins um recorded radio shows like on that little tape deck yeah uh, yeah and, um oh. and you know music was like my mum like every saturday would probably go and buy like a single from our price for those of um <laughs> those of us to remember what that was yeah 
um, I think it was like one pound fifty for a vinyl single, and uh, I'd save up my pocket money. And, so um, yeah, and Madonna was also big in my house, uh, and still is. Yeah, actually <laughs> should be. Um, so like when you, so as you so you got older and it was becoming more of a thing that you wanted to do. Like, how did you go about getting more experience um, to perform? Yeah, I had a really good drama teacher in year 11. And again, I think it was always like about storytelling. Like I definitely wasn't one of those kids that was like, I want to be on TV or like there was never any, um, it it wasn't like a, a sort of like a cold, this is where I see myself. It was more like moment to moment what I knew felt good and I enjoyed doing. And yeah, it was definitely about like making things up and showing things like, showing people a little part of my brain um and again like with story writing like all of all of that like I used to write poetry and stuff as a kid like there was there was always like ideas being sort of physicalized or actualized um so and I'd have to admit I didn't I didn't think it could be a career I did I had no idea I um thought that I would potentially go and work in like a holiday camp like um uh like as like children's entertainment and that like um sort of like the like red coat blue coat vibes mm. um, at a holiday camp because I was like oh I know I'll be on stage and I know I'll be like entertaining people and making people happy but um yeah it's only when I went to sixth form and I did a BTEC in performing arts where um as we got into the second year it was like oh this is the year you audition for drama schools and I was like what the hell is a drama school <laughs> and what, <laughs> I don't know that this exists um yeah and I I started sort of like researching where you know actors whose work I really enjoyed had been and like looking around at where I thought I wanted to go um very quickly realized again that it one cost a fortune <laughs> um yeah. and two not every school is meant for people like me and like where I come from and what my voice sounds like um and I really struggled with that like the first year was I think I did five, I could, I had a little job, I could afford to do five and I got rejected from all of them, no recalls. Jeez. And I was like, oh, I don't like, I don't understand why that like, why I wouldn't be getting recalls or why people aren't sort of responding well to me. I, I just, mm. I couldn't get my head around it. Um, but yeah, I, like I sort of found my own classes and did it that way. I did like a couple of one year uh, foundation courses um and then it started and and yeah it started sort of picking up from that um yeah and it's I mean <laughs> that was sort of the journey for me I guess it was when the longer courses were put in finally put in front of me I sort of was like oh I feel like I got what I needed from the workshops and from you know I did uh a one-year course and then like a part-time course for six months and I sort of got everything I needed I think hmm. and yeah but, it taught me a lot about the hustle <laughs> yeah yeah I mean there's no there is no real preparations I mean I, I I got I got told from day one as soon as I said I want to be an actor like my mum was always like yeah but it's hard you know it's gonna be hard work you know it's gonna be hard you know? yeah <laughs> and um I think because that was drummed into me like I had that expectation but there's still there isn't really any kind of preparations to how kind of um how you're then forced into this kind of competitive environment. Yeah. Um, so you're 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 going to 
you know auditions and things but you kind of like you say you kind of think oh well i'll just I'll, you know I, I know i'm good because like five people have told me maybe so <laughs> so that's been enough right um yeah and then like reality sets in and then i think looking into drama school as well is your first kind of like when i say you i mean like people in general like um uh first lesson of oh this is this is going to cost you money like wanting to pursue this career yeah uh, um but in like i had to i don't I, I think they've abolished them now but i had to pay audition fees yeah same same yeah i think some schools don't do that anymore do they and i think you only pay if you get recalled now maybe right rounds are free but I, at some schools um, yeah please correct me but i think um i think some schools have done away with them yeah yeah because it wasn't it wasn't realistic i i, I had a uh I had a place at East 15, but I wouldn't have been able to afford it. Um, so, yeah, it's really, really difficult, I think, when you're, when you're starting out, like, from the get-go. It's like, okay, this will be the start of, like, you then paying out money. And then everything else that comes with it. Headshots, yeah. spot, spotlight. Um, Headshots. Show, show reel. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it goes on and on and on. Um, so would you would you wasting yourself as at that time as um someone performing on stage? Or did you Yeah, and it's a it, again looking back, I think what a shame. Like no one ever said, um, do you know what I mean? That there were I, we did like a little script writing module um at sick form, which I always got top marks in. I was like really good at, and the, the that teacher specifically was like, You're really good at this, and I was like, Yeah. And then literally didn't touch it again for like six years. <laughs> um, yeah, it's only when I, uh, I think I wrote, this is so cringy, but I think I wrote um, somebody I had a crush on, a like a love letter poem thing. And he was like, he literally read it. And I remember he looked up at me and was like, you're a really good writer. And I was mm. like, sorry, but the feelings. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but the, all of those feelings. And he was like, we should write a play together. And I was like, oh my God, okay. I get not really the reaction you expect to get when you, you know, <laughs> your love to somebody. <laughs> but um, from, yeah, so from that, we, we wrote um, like a play together. It was my first thing and it went to the Camden Fringe. But yeah, again, that was, what would I have been, 24? four maybe approaching wow. 25 so like it yeah it, it I went a bit round the houses I think to find where I fit and it's only through doing like those small fringe things and scratch nights mm. I think it was for um Tom Stocks and Steph Silver used to run Actor Awareness yeah and um from that someone dropped out and I remember Steph messaging me being like do you think you'd be able to direct and I was like oh my god I'd love to try that um <laughs> and yeah and then I was like oh this can be a job and that's when I started to see oh there are female directors you have to look a bit harder for them but there are female directors around and started to look at what other people's journeys were but yeah it took me a long time to to go oh uh like acting is acting was fun I enjoyed it but it wasn't it wasn't quite the right fit for me. Uh, would you say you'd come away from it completely or you might return oh, to no. it? I think if the right cheeky little part in Call the Midwife or um, <laughs> EastEnders came up, I'd be absolutely like ready for it. There's, there's certain plays, I think, like that I'm like, oh, you know, in a couple of years' time, I'd love to 
tackle that role or mm. but, um but yeah I think primarily I'm like very content directing and writing so is it is it fair to say it sort of happened in stages did you see so you started off acting and then obviously you you wrote this incredible love letter um <laughs> uh <laughs> that's really I mean that's odd is it what do you do with that when you when you bear your soul to someone and they, they they take that and think of it as an opportunity <laughs> oh my God, yeah well yeah literally <laughs> absolutely yeah narcissist but like what the hell um yeah I the fact that I was like oh my god he loves my sentence structure more than he loves like my actual feelings that was really um that to get me head around that yeah and then and then directing sort of happened for chances like this kind of thing just came up and you were like yeah I'll just see see what it's about such (laughs) a fluke such a fluke and I think I did I took over directing on one of my own pieces of writing and mm. the actors after a thing I was like oh thanks everybody for bearing with me because obviously this directing thing's new for me so like I'm excited for us all to try stuff out together and I, I remember that group of actors being like I really respond to this I don't like you you don't need to keep saying I'm new to this I'm not like and I was like oh god yeah maybe I should just back myself a little bit um and yeah when I fully embraced it and was like do you know what it's all it's all part of learning and I do sort of know I do know what I want in in terms of like what I'm looking at and feeling and what it should feel like and sound like and yeah I just once I embraced it I was like I got um I got good quite quick um once I said yes to like this is actually the direction my sort of brain and body want to go in and and did you treat writing and directing in the same way did you then go and look for places to then go and sort of sort of to learn um or, or gain more experience or, to, or is it a more on the job kind of thing hmm. I think I've always really tried my luck and I just I literally went straight to venues and industry professionals and was like I want to do this and I I don't see that many female directors so how how do I put how do I get these jobs hmm. um, and it was actually um Tracy Childs and um Delek oh, yeah. at the Mercury who Delek put out a call she I think she was stage one placement sorry if that's wrong Delek um, <laughs> I think she was a placement at the Mercury oh no I, was she Tamasha placement she had a producer placement at the Mercury Colchester and they put a thing out saying we're looking for local artists and I was and I emailed and was like hi I'm from Essex would love to book a slot in so I got on the little train up to Colchester uh, met with Delek and Tracy and I was like I want to be a director I have no idea I have no idea like I, I literally don't know where to start um in terms of like building a CV and like getting experience um and I've done scratch nights and fringe and I don't know you know that's my ceiling I don't know where to go mm. I'd probably been doing it for like maybe two and a half years like very low-key and again all sort of profit sharey type stuff or again the scratch nights used to bung us like 50 quid didn't they for yeah yeah to do them at spotlight um and Tracy said oh well we've received a regional uh theater young director scheme placement before and I was like placement is it going to be paid I'm like I can't I cannot work free and she basically was like yeah they pay you a wage and we get an assistant director Mm. for three months and I was like oh my god I'm well up for that um and I had to have a you have to submit with yourself and with a venue so a venue sort of 
has to partner you on the application right so they fill in a bit of the form you fill in a bit of the form um and we joint applied and then I got a phone call and an interview I thought I'd absolutely bombed it I was like oh god that was really hard like that was really rubbish and then yeah a couple of months passed and I got a phone call offering me it from uh Tracy rang me to be like we've just heard like you, you've been granted the placement at the Mercury so it was amazing I got to assist Ryan McBride who was the new creative director at the time he'd just come in that um like end of summer early autumn and I got to assist him on the panto so and then after that once you've got like that first assistant directing credit you've got proof that you've been in a room as an assistant director and then from there you're able to start applying for other things like I think once you've got that first credit or two you then hit the criteria that a lot of these other jobs ask for so it is it is getting those first couple of credits I think that is the thing that that's why I was stuck for those two years doing scratch nights and couldn't go any further because I didn't have that first like assisting credit mm. somewhere that sort of means something on paper people know what know what the role consists of so yeah that that was absolutely game-changing for me to be honest and working with Ryan as you know like Ryan is still very very present in like my development and he's a really great mentor for me actually he's um yeah he's he's put up with me since 2019 (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's a he's a really good egg really good and for those that don't know what what are the roles and responsibilities of an assistant director during the run of a show oh yeah I think it can change depending on the production Mm -hmm. um but I think it's I think it's really clear for an assistant uh like to have boundaries in place before you tip into like the associate role which in theory you should be paid more and credited appropriately Mm -hmm. so an assistant director um you are there as like a sounding board and support for the director kind of primarily has been my experience and then um on cinderella i worked with the understudies so i directed the two swings um based off of ryan's notes so you don't sort of um put yourself into anything as an assistant it's very you know you get your notes and you you move with um solely with um ryan's vision and what they've created in the room and it's about honoring and holding that vision very much so um as an assistant um he would never let me say this but i would like race him to the kitchen to make a cup of tea (laughs) he would always be like assistant like you don't need to make the tea and I'd be like I do I'm the assistant director so that was like a bit of a (laughs) running joke throughout the rehearsal room of like I have to make tea because I'm the assistant but (laughs) it it was yeah it was really good he never ever expected me to get him a cup of tea he was amazing yeah Uh, but yeah and just we would like he'd sounding board stuff off me and like I would then ask some like gentle questions back so again I think Ryan is very collaborative some directors might just want you to nod and say yes and you just gauge gauge that from whoever you're working with um and yeah I would I would keep like all blocking notes um written down so if any actors were like god it's completely gone out of my head what we did yesterday I didn't write anything down please can I look at your notes we would go through stuff um like before the rehearsal started or on a tea break or whatever we would um yeah it's sort of like being a bit of a hub 
of information that's a buffer to the director so mm-hmm. that it doesn't get bombarded with multiple questions. Um, it allows you to be in two places at once as well. So if, for example, he had a um, interview for Colchester local newspaper, I can hold the room and, you know, drill a couple of things and keep an eye on things while he's doing that. Or if he wanted to work some tech, I could go chat to the lighting designer with a list of things that he wanted to tick off his list with the lighting designer. So it's, it is sort of like having an extension of the director's brain. Uh, so then what does an associate director do? So again, as I understand it, and I think these are still wishy-washy wavy terms that we're really trying as a group of directors <laughs> to nail down and every job will be ever so slightly different, but an associate is able to act with um, autom- autonomy in a room. Um, so as an associate, I would know that the director could leave me for a day, very like loose brief or like I'm aware of like what their vision should be, but I'm able to feed into it um, and make judgment calls in the director's absence. Whereas as, mm. as an assistant, that's not um, that's not something that should be expected of you. Um, so it would be things like if a director was, uh, NA for tech then you would run the tech yeah, um, yeah so yeah you, I think the, the very very simple basic way of saying it and again we'll vary job to job is that an associate has autonomy over right. the work and the choices and can act in the director's stead whereas the assistant very much sticks with the director's mm. yeah Cool. Thanks for sharing all that. Um, I I generally didn't know the difference, and I'm sure many people don't. So um, it's just good to it's good to know. Um, so yeah, I'm. I mean, that's. A, I don't say surprises me because that's not the wrong. That's the wrong word. What I mean is, I've been in a room with you when you've done an R and D. So um, seeing you sort of in charge and running the show and sort of like and coming up with ideas on the spot and then changing things when they don't work and like. I guess, is that stuff you've all just sort of picked up through experience? Um, like, or, or does this start back to when you like your boss and your little sister around when you were younger? You already like had a bit of a directing, <laughs> you had a bit of a directing <laughs> knack there. Do you know what I mean? Like you've, you've got this, uh, um, you've got an instinct. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon, I would probably say like, maybe like 92% of it is instinct. Hmm. And then obviously like part of that is, is prep. Like there is prep that, that goes into that, um, that sort of, it's like chicken and egg with like the prep and instinct of like to start your prep, you have to have some sort of idea, but like in the room, you have to have something sort of tangible to go off of like whether it's knowledge of the text you're working on or like a feeling like you, you yeah so it's a bit like um it's sort of one and the same thing for me I guess um yeah I I think it's always been very instinctive and then whenever I've watched people in rooms I thought oh I like that I'm gonna nick that um mm. and so I've built up my own little toolkit of I've I mean I've worked with loads of different like different styles of directors now a lot of musicals bit of new writing some actor muso stuff um also from teaching I've learned a lot um like in terms of like leadership and holding a room I think working with you know three-year-olds little 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 dots right the way up to teaching adults I think really taught me about 
how I hold the room and how I'm flexible and how I adapt. Um, yeah, I think mostly instinct and then that sort of like leadership skill. I mean, I'm always going, that feels right, but does that work? There's always that little voice that's like questioning me as things are happening, but it's um, it's still quite quiet. It's not, it's not too intrusive, <laughs> which I think is is nice it's just enough to that I check myself but not too much that I'm sort of not able to do any work because I'm like what if I get it wrong <laughs> yeah but it's, it's always there ticking away yeah I think every creative must have that in their heads just being like yeah you're not you know you're not good enough or this isn't gonna work or this is a bad idea but I think um it's all about being brave enough to take those risks isn't it um just say, right, well, this is the idea and this is what we're going to try. And, you know, if it doesn't work, then we'll just try something else. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you can't, there's, there's no, you know, as a writer, there's no first draft, which is like, oh, that's amazing. We'll just go and make that. It, <laughs> it's, just magic. it's just magic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where to go now because you've got, like, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. And um, so I might flip flop a bit. That's okay. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, Writing, writing wise, when you started writing, up in the your your, your love letter <laughs> that got exploited, um, what um, what was the first thing that you put on stage? Was that was that for actual awareness, or was it before then? Yeah, no, it was before then. It was my I wrote a play called Orchid, co-wrote a play called Orchid. That's right. Yes. Did, yeah, long long time ago now. God, um, and it did two shows as part of Camden Fringe, and again had my mates in it, and we raised some money, um, not a fortune, but enough to like that everyone sort of got their bus fare home. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah, and again, it was like minimal. We tried to do sort of minimal rehearsal time and keep it quite condensed. Um, yeah, yeah, we did that at Camden Fringe and I thought, do you know what, I like this. And I, I was in it, I acted in it first and was so nervous, incredibly nervous. Um, and I, th I thought, would I be happier if I was sat at the back with a glass of red wine? And <laughs> we did it again and I was in it again. And then I was like, would I be happier <laughs> if I didn't have the pressure to, like, my words exist, do I need to be in it as well? And then, yeah, after I checked myself, I was like, oh, my God, I absolutely don't. Um, yeah, so that that was a great learning curve for me, that first show of, like, I felt like I did what I set out to do, of, like, putting something on stage and, like, was able to, like, physically, as well as out of my own brain, like, tell this story that we'd created, but then very much was ready to to, to put myself <laughs> away, to take myself away from it and pass the baton um yeah and uh, we've had a lot of um uh actor writers uh on the podcast and i'm actor writer as well uh, what do you think what do you find when you're performing something you've written do you is it easy to like so you've, you've done the writing and then and then so then you're performing it can you separate being the writer at that time do you then become the actor or or is it a dual thing that's happening as you're going through the motions Mate, I'm so lucky. I am so lucky. I'm really, really good at letting go. I'm mm. really, really good at being like, like it's not me that's written it. So like I can still say to the director, and I think that's like um, Natasha Kathy Chandra directed my one-woman show. And I'd be like, she says this here. 
And Natasha would be like, you wrote this. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll write that down. And then when I get home, when I'm back to write a brain, when I'm at my computer, mm. then then I'll ask myself that question. But, um, I, yeah, I think I'm very, very lucky. My brain is very good at splitting those things up. And I think it's because very early, that Orchid, that first show, I was uh, producing it. Um, was also the actor was also the writer and I remember those first few sort of rehearsals I was like oh god and I need and I was writing down like bits of props we needed and the director was so good at being like well let's make the list of the props separately and then we'll get up on the feet and come back to the acting um and and I think that taught me very quickly that oh god this does not work if I'm trying to wear all the hats at the same time um, and actually I found it so much more freeing to just say um, like what if someone else wrote this like let's just play it as if someone else wrote it um, and then any questions again that I have for myself as things come up in the material mm. I'd write it down and wait till I get home so that I'm out of the rehearsal space right. I've like hung up my acting hat for the day and then I'd be like what questions did the actors have for me today again <laughs> <laughs> but again that that really works for me because otherwise I think it would be an absolute blur and um it's, it's also just like I thrive on collaboration even when I've not written something um and I'm directing I absolutely thrive from like I work really closely with a choreographer for example like and with a musical director like I'm very I like to hear how it makes people feel. So I think if every, if all of the voice is me on the project, I'm not going to get the mm. best version of the story I want to tell. Um, so yeah, it's nice to, if you're, you know, two thirds of the collaboration and you don't let the director in, it's when you're not going to get the full realised story levelled up to where it could be. So yeah, I'm quite good at turning the brains on and off for the different roles. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I, I I found in the past, like I've I've um, you know, you know, like when you enjoy writing something, and then you get it up on its feet, and you're and you're doing, and when you're in it, and then you, I'm like, people don't talk like this. Like this is ridiculous. Why would I've written that line of dialogue? <laughs> yeah, who wrote this? I did say that the other day to somebody. I was, I can't remember what I was working on. It might have been Good Enough Mums Club, actually. And I told some, I said, someone, do you stand there for this? And they was like, yeah. And I was like, who directed this? <laughs> <laughs> and they were literally like, you, hon. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, yeah, when I forget bits of my own direction, I'm like, oh, yeah, who told you to stand there? Oh, it was me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think, again, past guests have sort of said that I think like one really helps inform the other as well. So that when you're wearing multiple hats, like you to, to be able to stand there and in your head go, actually, this line doesn't work I, I you know I can write it down as a writer but I can't say it as an actor like it just doesn't make any sense yeah um and I think being multidisciplined is like it does seem to be the way that every, every most people I know are going um oh my God. We, yeah we don't live in a time I've said this before we don't live in a time now where like a one you're an actor you're a writer you're a producer you're a director you're a choreographer you're a dancer that's it and you can't do anything else also, the fees are so crap that if I just picked one, I would I would be broke. Like I would just, I'm just, I mean, I'm not I'm not sat here going, 
woohoo I have so much money but like if I only picked one thing mm. like I still have an acting agent that puts me up for adverts yeah Do you, like, it, it is just like hedging your bets a bit <laughs> I'm like creatively I know I can sort of do a little bit I, I really weirdly I did a workshop this morning with uh Danielle Ryan's Lequin who's an amazing multidisciplinary choreographer director movement director mindset creative mindset coach um and she started her workshop this morning with um the the jack of, i need I'm, i've got to get this right sorry jack no, no. Uh, jack of all trades um figure of speech has a longer here we go that's it right it's a, a misinterpretation longer, yeah yeah there's how annoying so it's jack of all trades is a master of none but oftentimes better than a master of one Absolutely. i was like what who's withholding this information <laughs> Just, you know what i'm saying so like and she said that this morning and it my brain literally exploded and i was like i was literally like i'm obsessed with you as, as soon as she said that i was like <laughs> i love this person um but yeah yeah so that's i'm passing that on um <laughs> for this podcast now for Thank my you. workshop it, yeah it really did um it absolutely blew my mind I was like yeah that that is it that's so I have to earn money somehow um and if it's creatively what are the strands like where where can I where am I able to work and do a good job yeah yeah well that's the challenge isn't it and it's the juggling of like you know keeping food on your table and a roof over your head and um but having the time to be expressive and and to pursue your creative uh you know you, you, whatever it is you want to do it's it's the the juggling so i'm still juggling and it's, yeah. it's you know it's taken me a long time to find a flexible job um in the industry as well which helps which yeah. is what i advise people to do before is like go and work in theaters uh, go work front of house go and work yeah film companies if you get a job there like being a creative industry, don't be in an office. You, no one will understand you. And no. <laughs> every, everyone will just be confused why on, on EastEnders. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, uh, <laughs> it's harsh, but don't go where the muggles are. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, again, I like, I have met some people who that does really work for, and they, again, really enjoy separating their brains and they just don't talk about being a creative mm. <laughs> in that environment. And it, but again, I think for me, I needed the time and the brain space. So I was, this, you know, obviously I worked uh, front of house in a theatre in the West End for eight years, eight and a half years. Yeah. And um, it was great because I had all of my days free to like practice writing stuff. And I used to do teaching, I used to teach kids to dance and like all of that stuff actually has really fed into like the long game. Um, and yeah, for a lot of time. It was a, it was a struggle financially because those jobs we know don't pay particularly well. But I think without that sort of groundwork, I wouldn't have been a, I wouldn't have been able to put the steps in place um, moving forward. Definitely not. Especially when your working environment is surrounded by the creative people, it, it makes life so much easier as well. Uh, yeah, you're so right. Even like networking, I think of like some of the people I work front of house with that are now casting directors and I do a bit of part-time work for an agency. So I'll like email that casting director and be like, Hey, like how weird that we're both, you know, in this, <laughs> on this email chain. Um, I'm really excited to submit these people or, you know, like 
that it's so nice when you see people you sort of have linear journeys and mm. you come from the same place yeah it's been really exciting to see people I work with front of house and what they go on to do go it started oh. a little tune and i was like what's going on? <laughs> that's my welcome music <laughs> literally the intro yeah <laughs> looking at acting is there a performance that you've seen either on stage or screen it doesn't have to be one or it's just the, like, the first thing that comes to mind um that like really blew you away that you oh. you thought that's something to aspire to if you want to be an actor yeah, I have two, I think. The first was Denise Goff in People, Places and Things. Never saw it, but I heard so much about it. Yeah, I, yeah. Oh, my God. I went back because I was just like, how? <laughs> I had to, like, I watched it and was blown away. And then I was like, I need to go back and, like, watch it. Do you mm. like to, to, like, follow her? journey and I, I absolutely was obsessed I listened to all of the podcasts and the YouTube interviews and read everything I could that she was like putting out at the time of like how she prepped for that role and how um she like saw her career as an actor I was absolutely like besotted with her because of that performance I was like what an incredible woman um so yeah she was like I think she's the first thing that I probably was like yeah this is this is this is the stuff that's what I want to make um and then the second I mean it feels really unfair to pick anybody out but um Claire Perkins in Amelia oh um, right she played Amelia three and there's a monologue at the end and oh my god I have never been moved so much in a theatre like like moved to stand in ovation this was just oh my and the the room was electric it was like yeah everything it was just like a real the audience were completely in the palm of our hand and we were just all in sync like in this space it was like oh yeah I've never ever felt so moved in a in a space but that I mean, the play is amazing it feels really unfair to single her out because the entire cast are exceptional um, and I, I, did, I went back and saw that three times because I was like, oh, my God, that like what I'm getting from this is like mm. a high, like it's an absolute. Um, oh, it was it, it absolutely like transcended your body like it was it was really spiritual, but it's a great play to read. Um, but I, yeah, I saw it. I think I saw it in town three times because I just was like, I need that. I need that good stuff again. Like, I need to go back and get some more of that. I think it might have come down because it was the monobox, but they had um, a recording of it, an audio recording of it on the oh, monobox wow. listening library. They have like um, different monologues read by different um, actors, and mm. the Amelia text by Claire is on there. Um, Oh yeah, it's it's just absolutely stunning. Was was Denise got? I can't remember if if she's the same actor that's got that. Was she the person that was understudying for someone once? Um, and I don't want to say the 
person was, but they were having some difficulty at the time. They were a yeah, big, um, big actor and celebrity. And uh, I feel like Denise Goff was their understudy. And there was huge uproar when people found out the understudy was going to be on because we don't like the understudy. And, you know, people just don't seem to know that understudies <laughs> are just oh, as qualified yeah. <laughs> as the person in the lead performance. Um, that's the reason they're doing that job because they're, they're as good to replace that person should they need to. And then apparently, like, blew everyone out of the water. Reviews went crazy. And then I feel like it was Denise Goff that then built her career off the back of that. I could be thinking of someone entirely different. Could be wrong. Um, I usually am. Um, but I, th I think it was. And then, and then that's how she got people places things. But I could be way off. Sorry, Denise, if you're listening. Yes. Um, <laughs> oh, I say, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not 100%. The only thing I remember from all of my uh, fangirling and stalking is that she'd been like knocking around for a while and she won a best newcomer award and she was like newcomer I've like done my time I'm like <laughs> done how am I but again it's like that yeah. meritocracy of like some shows at some venues equal more than some shows at other venues and yeah I, I remember her talking about that but yeah that that's that I mean that sounds very on brand for this industry in general doesn't it of like <laughs> <laughs> the understudy actually being good what a shock yeah <laughs> yeah I mean the, be the best actor performance I've ever seen was uh, was an understudy one of the show um oh really yeah yeah it's, it's never it's never left me um and even for a play that I didn't I was never really into and it made me like that play and now I will go watch that play because of it oh, wow. a single performance changed my life oh my um, god love Love that. I did used to love that about working front of house, watching the understudies go on, and I'd be yeah. like, yeah. you'd see like different takes, and yeah, it's yeah, when you know, you know, that somebody's someone in the lead, and it, again, great for theatre, like puts bums on seats in terms of status, and then you see the understudy, and you're like, like, wow, that's that's if we didn't have to operate on like selling tickets yeah, <laughs> what yeah. but um yeah yeah I love I love an understudy big again as an associate director who's worked a lot directing the understudies I'm a big fan <laughs> big fan of understudies it takes um takes a certain type of person I think to you know be a really good understudy and what advice would you offer to actors that um uh get obtain roles as understudies um, be nice to your resident director <laughs> because she's very often on your team um, and wants you to go on and be amazing and be brilliant. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's hard because because with musicals specifically and sort of how we work in the UK in terms of like blocking and how we like use technical aspects and how we use light and sound and automation and especially as you scale up like the actual structure of a show can can feel really rigid like the framework that holds the show so like it's really difficult on some shows that you have to be like okay for, for here you need to stand on two because there's a really tight special that needs to capture you perfectly and if you're mm. not on two it looks crap so like I think I think it's uh, what I've really loved is when you get an actor who understands that and is still able to bring themselves to it and you know can play within the parameters um of what what the framework is um that one of my it's really again really unfair because all of the understudies on Bugsy were amazing 
So I was resident director on the UK tour of Bugsy Malone and the understudies were fabulous. And the adult actors used to cover the children's roles in case they got sick last minute. Um, and they were all like little and young and gorgeous anyway. So like they they could quite happily pass for children um, in this in this sense. But um, yeah, those guys were so good at being like they knew the show so inside out. And it would just be they'd ask really intelligent questions of like, I know that I need to I knew that I know that I need to hit center stage. Like, can I have an intention to get there or like what like where am I coming from or or can I come from can it be that I'm coming from here so like we'd have really good conversations to like get the same result and make sure that the show looks identical to um Sean Holmes's vision and like all of the amazing work that Franny the associate did it was like holding those things in places but allowing the understudies to take ownership of knowing that they you know need to be on center so that they don't get hit by a moving car or you know whatever that looks like flying table um but but also them able to make choices for their character um and yeah they they were amazing at that actually I think that makes a good understudy that all-round knowledge of the show and knowing where there's space to play and to you know ask ask some questions and fill in the gaps um, for your own character's journey that's again that's from my perspective that makes my job the easiest thing in the whole world then <laughs> yeah that's brilliant thanks for sharing that I think um there was an interesting mirror I saw there between musical theatre and doing stuff on screen about having to be in certain yes. places certain marks um so I said the captain so that the camera can capture you as yeah. well you know um uh, Especially at the studio setups as well, when there's sort of like a three, three, you know, it's a two, two or three camera job. Um, yeah. And it's funny because I've never, I've always thought they're very, very separate. You know, stage acting, screen acting, but the the technical side of having to be at a certain place at a certain time, like that's because it's kind of the same, isn't it? Really. Yeah, yeah. Because if you, yeah, you get hit by a flying piece of set, you'll know about <laughs> it. Like, do you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> it's uh so yeah it's sort of keeping those two brains active like how do you live in the world and follow the br blueprint of the show but but make it authentic to you and you know what you've found with the character uh, yeah same with screen isn't it it's res like restrictive in that like you get your little l or your little cross or whatever you get yeah. and, and you know you have to you you're aware that these things are quite close to you yeah. um and still have to find some truth in this sort of fake situation yeah yeah that's yeah well that's the challenge of it all isn't it you know it's the, the whole make-believe aspect of it you're you, and you've hit you've hit the nail on the head there yeah it's fi finding the truth in this <laughs> in this yeah. yeah you come in here and then you're going to go stand there and then you're going to yeah. walk over here and then you're going to pick that up and then you're going to throw that thing but at the same time <laughs> yeah. you're making it like you're doing it for the first time <laughs> yeah yeah and let's do it again <laughs> yeah Five or six times. One more for luck. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you have any acting inspirations? Uh, oh, it was like definitely um, Denise Goff after I saw that. And, and that was around the time where I was like, oh, I'm going to move into the creative thing. But she made me be like, oh, my God, like imagine being able to access all of that, like that physicality and her voice is just so resonant. So I found, yeah, I found her very inspiring. Um, probably around my teenage years was um, Alan Cumming. Love him. Like, yeah. absolutely exceptional. Um, 
Yeah, he was probably like the most sort of, again, I think I grew up with a lot of um, like uh, probably reality TV and a lot of um, like I used to love things like Skins and Hollyoaks. And I think about, um, you know, a lot of these things don't get celebrated for their acting um and obviously like lots of young casts on screen for the first time um which well, skin has produced unfair. skin has produced like multi-award winning actors i mean D daniel right. Kaluuya right. in skins like nicholas oh Ford. my god um so true so I, many back in the back in the day it was literally like you know like this is trash telly for teens but yeah what's come from it and people that have come from it i'm like oh yeah i loved all of those people you know that's what I really looked up to so yeah I think um I think I found it hard because the type of things that like where I heard my accent or saw like similar class background and like um like family and friend relationships sort of came in the those like immediate like lower budget ease stuff um so I feel like all of the really good actors I sort of rebelled against because yeah. you know they all had the same voice and they all like looked quite similar and yeah I think especially coming through in like the noughties like <laughs> being a teenager I think um, yeah I sort of like there's there's a cert there was a certain type of sort of uh, actor that I knew that I definitely wasn't and it again was reflected in one of my drama school auditions I remember doing uh my Shakespeare in my voice obviously and uh the panel were like why did you pick that accent for that character and I was like oh I'm using my natural ac accent and they were like oh and <laughs> the face the look of disgust that I'd like done a classical text in my own voice and I I remember coming out being like, have they said that to like rattle me to like see if I mm. stand up for myself or, or do they genuinely think that my voice shouldn't be saying classical text? And and that that did sit with me for a long time. Um, but yeah, I think I think quite difficult. A lot of like the Essex icons, if they're like a big Essex actor, they've either like stripped their accent away. Yeah. Or it's like reality TV stars from Essex, right? If we're seeing people from Essex on screen, yeah. Either somebody not from Essex putting the voice on to make us laugh, or to play a lower status or lower class character, um, or yeah, we're looking at like Gemma Collins. You know, we're not looking at people in roles. We're looking at um, reality TV, which again is like I'm I'm obsessed with those sorts of things, so I love it. But in terms of <laughs> you know when you're trying to fight for representation um and they're the two examples of your voice yeah it's it's quite tricky to find role models i guess so it's a, a double-edged sword now isn't it because essex is uh is, seems to have been encompassed in one reality tv show um <laughs> yes. in i mean i've i've, I've never watched it i, I have but I mean, I, I have issues with reality TV. It's not for me, and I, I understand it's for, for other people, and that's that's fine. Like whatever, you know. I think I think now that there's because there's so many, like the streaming services, and now sort of channels of, you know, growing up we had like five channels, right? 
four, four yeah. channels. Four channels. I'm loud. Um, so, yes. uh, so now that like ITV has a has a whole channel dedicated to reality TV, I think that's fine. I think it used to bother me because I feel like a lot of money was being put into reality TV, and it wasn't. You know, it's all scripted anyway. Um, yeah. Yes. But, <laughs> I also I also have a very 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 vague connection to someone from Towie. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I've never watched it, but the only time like I've sort of switched over and it's been on, and and then you hear terms like "Oh, everyone from Essex is going to be there," and they're talking about Brentwood, and it's like Essex is massive. Yeah, Essex is so big, and it's the people who live there are so varied. And I think yeah. what bothers me about Towie is that Essex is now encompassed into like just Brentwood and Chelmsford, and that's it. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, you know, because the old, the old, the the old Essex accent actually is more sounds southwest, was kind of Bristol, um, very you know Farmer Giles type of character. Um, like if you watch, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Detectorists. With uh, Mackenzie Crook. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the accent that Toby Jones is using is, is an old school Essex accent, although he sounds like he's from like the southwest. Oh my um, god! So, you know, we're not all loud and brash as as it, as it, as it comes across. And I think what intro, uh, what I'd like to, uh, the question I'm trying to pose is, it's it's opened up the world to Essex, and and then, but now. Is everyone that goes into a casting room, if they're looking for an Essex uh, male or female or or um, whoever, it, it, are they now expecting the stereotype <laughs> rather than the variety that Essex holds, just like the variety that the entire country holds? Yeah, yeah. That again, my first when I first signed with my acting agent, I think my first few auditions were like made and like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and you do wonder, like, what you're expecting to be like, oh, yeah, me lady, I'll do that for you. Like, is that what you want me to do? Is that what you want me to play? And that's the accent people in the waiting room who didn't have my accent were putting on when mm. they went into the room. Um, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Another drama school audition anecdote is in the waiting room, one of the other auditionees asked me if I had a vajazzle. Bloody hell. Before I went into audition, and I was literally like, no. I was literally like, if you're trying to psych me out, you've succeeded because I want to go home and cry. Like, if ever you don't feel like you belong in a place, like, do you know what I mean? Let someone ask you if you if you have a vajazzle because you're messy. Who was it that asked you that question? Was it someone else that was waiting to audition or was it? I yeah, another, another auditioning. Oh, right. It was like, oh, where have you travelled from today? Whatever, a couple of us were chatting. And I was like, oh, I'm from Essex. And she was like, oh, my God, Towie, do you have a vajazzle? And I was like, oh, this is this is going to be my next three years if I get into this school. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it did help me whittle down where I actually wanted to be, I guess. That's so, that's so odd. How do you answer a question like that? Do you I, want me I, to I, show I, you? Yes. <laughs> prove it yeah no you I know. remember being mortified and just being like is is this is this going to be me in this career now mm. like um but but luckily again the last few years have actually been loads better than you know what would it have been 12 years ago when I first started 12 to 15 years ago when I first started dabbling 
Um, and again, so often it would be like, oh, you're from Essex, are you a dancer? And I'd be like, no, like, you know, I've, I love dancing, but I'm not, why can't I, why do I have to be a dancer if I'm from mm. Essex? Like there was a real, um, yeah, real like disconnect, I think, from what was expected in a, in like a contemporary and classical acting space yeah. as opposed to like I think if I'd have done the musical theatre route I wouldn't have had the problems I had trying to do the acting route mm. I really believe that mm. well, what 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 sets them apart then what do you think makes it I feel like um I mean again I could be wrong but I don't feel like uh Charlotte my sister went to Mountview um, and did musical theatre and I don't feel like I feel like she might have had they might have had a go at her in a couple of voice lessons for, <laughs> for her accent but I don't feel like she had the the full-on like negativity about voice mm. like the same hang-ups as me maybe maybe she just dealt with it better but again the musical theatre people I've worked with have tended to be um like a like yeah, again, I think a lot of dancers and musical theatre performers have come through Essex, and maybe it is in the more affluent areas, like with some nice dance schools and stuff. But I, I, I think it is. Yeah, I've I've felt more accepted in a musical theatre community definitely than I have in a straight acting capacity. Mm, that's interesting. Definitely on stage. Definitely not so much in screen, but definitely on stage. Um, yeah. Yeah. And do you think, do you, I mean, I asked Kate the same question. Do you think it's the accent and think that's the, it, it, it brings um, judgment? Yeah, I think the accent brings judgment. I think, um, and again, probably the little brummies have the same problems. You know, I feel like there's probably Scouse girls have the same problems. Like, I feel like there's specific um, accents that just are considered lower class and not, and, mm unintelligent like it was uh they campaigned didn't they in Essex for the description in the dictionary to be changed but it was something like yeah. a materialistic promiscuous girl of low intelligence was the dictionary definition um and I th they've got it changed now but like you know if that's in a dictionary <laughs> do you know what I mean like people are going to be like ah that's that's what that is and obviously no one wants an unintelligent actor working in their room mm. so it's e it's easier in an uh oversubscribed industry it's e easier to you know knock some people off with that information <laughs> well i mean it's an, it's an industry full of putting people in boxes isn't it all the time um God, yeah that if no one's sort of uh, no one's really no one escapes it not not even people who are upper class they all get put yeah. in the box um so true uh, we, we make judgments about people who um go to yeah. private schools and whatnot like it's yeah just i guess it happens but um yeah it's a shame it'd be, it'd be a cycle to break i think um yeah agree now that things are sort of becoming more diverse and a bit more open and inclusive <laughs> yeah yeah i think it is getting better slow but it is getting better and um how did the covid pandemic affect you creatively oh let's think back <laughs> um I was I was really lucky in that I'd started part-time I'd started uh, running part, a part-time acting school and 
I was able to take my classes online pretty quickly. So I kept relatively creative, um, applied for lots of like funding and grants. And I did get a lot of the things that I applied for to like keep my little business ticking over and to keep me alive during that time. I think I was really lucky. I'm aware it could have been way worse. Um, yeah, I think... I started a small business and had quite a loyal band of students at the time um, and was able to tick myself over um, for that period of time. Yeah, and I did things like um, the freelance task force. So Fuel Theatre organised um, that a freelancer could represent each of the venues in the UK. So they'd sign up to this freelance task force and nominate their freelancer. And we had meetings a couple of times a week to talk about, you know, how we build back better. And we made lists and, you know, mission statements and listed values and got in touch with our venues. Uh, and we were paid to do that, which was an amazing initiative. Um, and I had like a little mailing list that every time I had a meeting I would whack all of the minutes into a email and send it around to like my group of freelancers um to be like this is what we're talking about today if there's any anywhere else I can represent represent you or questions you want answered tell me and I'll sort it um so yeah I was I think I did fall on my feet with it to be honest I know some people had a terrible time but I absolutely cannot complain and I got through it um I got an arts council grant and I got the Netflix uh the the little thousand pound like funding as and when um yeah I was able to sort of keep my head above water quite well I think with that you also put on a show at a football stadium <laughs> oh yes that was during <laughs> COVID yeah we did. we did that was an arts council grant that was um some money from the mayor of london and natwest back her business and a crowd fund yeah we ran for two weeks oh my god yeah <laughs> we ran for two weeks at football stadium uh at dagenham and redbridge football stadium my team um yeah it was an immersive uh immersive site specific hip-hop dance play um where the first act was uh yeah, an immersive show where you meet the characters and roam around the stadium. And the second act was a hip hop, physical theatre, street dance, uh, where the two teams had their football match. Um, yeah, and that got published. And from that, I got my uh, directing and writing agent. Yeah, it sort of kicked off uh, a lot of things. Excuse the pun, kicked off a lot of things um, for me and yeah still very much um a fan of Dagnum and Redbridge <laughs> and when I go there they look after me still my dad's still got his season ticket um see the managing director and he asks how I'm getting on yeah they're they're good yeah that was really good fun it was a really it, great show. it was brilliant it was a brilliant show and it was it was really like it was, su I mean, it was such a strange time. I still, I'm still, I imagine everyone's not really sort of processed what we've gone through with with COVID and those couple of years. But to be in the middle of all that madness and then like go watch, <laughs> go watch some theatre at a football stadium, I was like, this is really weird. But like, this is this is like perfect um, because I'd already, I remember seeing the scratch version of it 
Yeah. And it it had come on leaps and bounds by that point. Uh, it was, I mean, the scratch version I loved, but the the you know the full length show was brilliant, and um, I think you should be really really proud of what you did. Uh, to you know, not only to just like put on a show, but put on a show during like the probably the worst time of one of the worst times in history um, yeah. was was quite something. And and, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, um, <laughs> how, how, did, how did that all come about? Like, what, what, how did that idea, did you always, is that something you always thought about or was it COVID the opportunity? My, yeah, my, unfortunately for me, my brain never shuts up. And again, I think that's part of having ADHD as well, is that like, I'm constantly uh, an ideas generator and I am constantly having to filter what's a good idea and what's crazy, um, what's achievable and what's definitely not. Um, and I can remember saying to our producer at the time, you know, we'd done the scratch version. We were very much doing, um, we had we were doing a, a program at the Park Theatre was the next thing that we were applying for. And we were going to do like an industry showcase and see if we could get it picked up. And it was very much a proscenium arch show. The the writing was completely different. Like the scenes were complete, same characters, but the scenes were completely different um, because it was very much a like linear narrative play. Um, and I just started, uh, I just started making a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> of if the show was in a football stadium because mm. I was like oh when like I'm really annoyed I can't do my industry showcase of something I've just spent the last sort of nine months developing um and I was like so if theatre's gonna come back we don't know how long this thing's gonna be I was like the first thing that happens is outdoor theatre the first thing we can do is gather outdoors so where we're really lucky is that squad goals is is football so like a football pitch a football stadium provides us with enough room and space to like still get high audience numbers in separate people out where we're not going to be like in close proximity to each other um so I just made a powerpoint presentation of if this show existed at Dagenham well first of all I looked at Hornchurch um which is smaller a smaller club I thought it might be a bit easier to get and then my dad was like, oh, you should you should try Dagenham and Redbridge because they're really good with the community and getting, you know, um, new people through the door and and supporting community and um, which they are. They're amazing at. And I was like, OK, so I changed Horn Church to Dagenham um, and, yeah, pitched it to my co-director, um, the amazing Mia Jerome, uh, our choreographer, who was Sandeep Saini and our producer, who was Morag Davis. And I pitched it to them and they were like, yeah, this is this is really good. <laughs> um, and I'd made a spreadsheet of like where the audience would be at what time and what information they would get. So like the script existed as a script, but also as a spreadsheet of like what plot points were delivered in which room, like, cause we had um, the car park and then we had the away stand and then yeah, we had the yeah. terrace stand and we had the dugouts. Um, so like which information was delivered where um, and then we pitched it to the managing director at Dagnum and he was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but for some reason I really want this. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it was, it was just, I think it was just me, Morag and Mia, just like batting our eyelids like at him, like, please, we promise it will be really good and really fun. And we'll bring lots of girls to the stadium who, you know, traditionally women in football is quite a, a tricky relationship. So like we can bring lots of young women to the ground 
um, and get them involved. And they just uh, said yes to West Ham ladies playing their home games at Dagenham Stadium. Um, so he was like, yeah, aligns with our values. Obviously, your dad is a <laughs> season ticket holder who we value. So like, let's let's go for it. And uh, yeah, he was amazing. He was amazing. When the play got published, I was literally like, huge thank you to Steve Thompson. I I could not have, um, yeah, I couldn't have done it without him. He was amazing. Yeah, it was, it was brilliant. I mean, it's, yeah, I'd like to mention like that. It was timely, wasn't it? Because I think women's yeah. football, fo- women's football was really blowing up. So that the fact yeah. that you had Britain squad goals, um, and also the challenge of like adapting it from you know a traditional stage setup to now something that wasn't not yeah it was like this immersive um promenade performance walking around receiving different bits of information you know meeting different characters but i was i mean i I love the physicality of everything i love like watching a football match without there being an actual football like and seeing a goal scored and like you 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 are you're immersed You're, you're and you're sat in the stand of a football stadium and you're you know, it's it was done so well. Um, so yeah, kudos for that. Oh, I mean, it's just brilliant, and the fact that you got it published. And I was really annoyed because then there was some other football play that was popular like about a year ago. There's um, always some other football play creeping and, up, and it was like it, it was about women's football. I was like, oh, we've already got one of those. Hang on a minute, why isn't anyone like why isn't the squad goal was on the? I don't know where it was on. I think it was on the national. Um. Unfortunately, and I do believe this, uh, I think it's because we were in Dagnum. I think there's, again, I think there's still a summary of like, there's, I do find, I haven't engaged with women's football as much as I would have liked to because I still find it quite posh. (laughs) So I'm still going to the men's game because I, like, I'm my dad and his mates. Like, do you know, like, I, I understand the demographic, but like, yeah, I, I know I'm aware that, it is getting better, but yeah, women's football is is something that I'm coming to terms with for okay. like working class women. I'm not quite sure. I haven't quite worked out that for myself, but it's just something I feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they. I mean, they still. I mean, for for all its popularity now, they're still getting treated very differently. Um, yeah, so they, true. They, um, you know, it's not like they're they're running football same football wages that the, the men do um and talking about you know judgments on accents uh alex scott who presents a lot and who is wonderful and a yeah. f- footballing legend um it is constantly being called out about her accent when she's on tv and this you know this yeah this prejudice this thing of as i mentioned before it, uh, with the podcast with kate like if you're in an industry in which you're in front of a camera or on stage in front of people there's this um, expectation that you have to look a certain way, you have to speak a certain way, you have to stand yeah. a certain way, and it's like, how can we? How could it be 2023 and not celebrating the differences that we have? Yeah, you know, oh, it's hundred percent. It's, it's infuriating. Um, but yeah, I'll get off my soapbox. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I yeah. Anyway, back to score goal, brilliant. Um, and it's excellent that it's published. Do you know if it's been performed anywhere else or if other or or, or do, do you how do you yeah when you, if you publish a play how do, yeah. do do you hear about stuff like if I don't know a school wants to do it or a college or university? Yeah, yeah. So my 
agent holds the rights to it. So if anyone was interested, they'd get in touch and my agent would say, I'm going to reply and say this. Are you happy with it? So it's sort of like negotiated through that. Um, nobody. And again, I think people are probably reading it going, what the hell? I need a football stadium to make this happen, do I? <laughs> um, <laughs> but there, there were a couple of schools that were interested in it. Um, and then it didn't happen for some reason. I just didn't hear any further. But I have been to, this is always really exciting. I've been to drama school showcases where they've done a scene or a monologue. Wow. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's that's me. Oh. And that's, that's really amazing. Like knowing that, you know, I've created a couple of monologues for 18 to 21-year-old girls mm. who, you know, working class backgrounds or they're queer or, you know, again have a thick regional accent that like uh because we had um a girl from Halifax in the uh well a girl from um Yorkshire in the original class and we specifically yeah. nailed it down um and then an Italian character so like there's again for international students like I feel like there's quite a good mix of things in there um yeah that is is good for that sort of guess 16 to 21 sort of bracket yeah which is always the hardest bracket to, when you're starting out and you're looking for monologues for for i don't know auditions for drama school or whatever it is those are the yeah. hardest ones to find aren't they um but probably more for, for female than for male but um yeah, yeah. they're hard, to, hard to come by like not not just like a the romantic love interest you know mm -hmm. um, something that's like girls talking passionately about things they care about yeah, and not talking about men. Yes, <laughs> the Bechdel test, yes, <laughs> 100%. Yeah. So when you were acting, what part of acting did you love? Uh, I loved rehearse rehearsals. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay, I think you're like the second person who said that. So that's cool. Okay, yeah, I know that's. It's probably a rogue answer, isn't it? I love rehearsals. I like um, the process and working things out. Maybe that's testament to the rehearsal processes I've had <laughs> of like a good room and a good team and yeah, the trying stuff out, the failing. I quite enjoy the like, oh, well, I absolutely messed that up, didn't I? <laughs> and then picking up and going again. Um, yeah, rehearsals for me, I think, is the is the highlight. That's fair enough. Well, I guess that's where everything all starts. You, you build your rapport with your with your company members, and then and yeah, hopefully, like if you've had it, if you've had it good, then that's great. It's a bit more difficult when you've got the odd ego or um, people that don't yeah. want to collaborate. Um, yeah, yeah, that getting to know people stage, I think, is really fun. Like in a in a short space of time, you know, you you learn so much about people because you're constantly making yourself vulnerable in a room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what part of acting would you say you, you do not love? Uh oh, yeah i i didn't I didn't really like doing the show. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really like everyone looking at me. Um. Oh yeah, the worst thing. This is one of my favourite stories. Actually, is that um I did a one woman show at the Tristan Bates, which is now the Seven Dolls Playhouse, and it was called Sad About the Cows, and it was about, um, I'd had quite a difficult journey with an eating disorder throughout my 20s, 
And um, I was like, you know what, I'm going to put it into a play so that anybody who's been there, you know, can see themselves and be like, oh, do you know what, actually, because I was quite high functioning with it in that, like, I was able to hide it for a really long time and nobody really like understood that I had anything wrong with me. And I think a lot of people that suffer anorexia specifically are able to do that. Um, so yeah, it was like that high functioning of like this super high energy character who had a secret and sort of throughout the play, the cracks start to show. Um, and I think I did two shows, maybe I did the first two shows. It was on for a week. And on the morning of the third show, I woke up and checked my phone and I was like, oh, I haven't seen any reviews yet. (laughs) And I went snooping. And uh, there was a, I think it was a two-star review. It was either two or three. I feel like it was a two. And it said, um, it essentially said the worst thing about this play is Michelle Payne. <laughs> no. And I'd written it and I'd acted in it. And I, I had a great director and a great team around me, a great sound designer, great producer. Um, yeah, the worst thing about this play was Michelle Payne. And I... I mean, I couldn't tell you for the life of me the rest of the context of that. I, I remember there was something that was like, there was a bit that moved into spoken word and I thought for a moment it would provide much needed relief. But unfortunately, this didn't land either. <laughs> and I was, I literally laid in bed. I was like starfish in bed all day and was like, I'm horrible. <laughs> I'm horrible. Like this is it's over this is over for me I've hit the end of the line one week run at the Tristan Bates and it's all over um and I'd like obviously pinch of salt with all these things now but like at the time I was like I'm so crap and yeah didn't get out of bed all day and I texted the director and she was like yeah I read it was really hoping you hadn't seen that one but you gotta get out of bed mate you gotta do it again and I was like I've gotta get out of bed and do it again and I think I got up at like three o'clock was out the house by four was warming up at five (laughs) and was just like I'm so bad at acting I'm so bad at writing and I did the show for the rest of the week but yeah it it killed me but (laughs) at least we can laugh about it now you know it's a story Mm. so <laughs> but I well, think that's the worst. That's the worst I've ever had of being well, that. How so then how do you feel looking because obviously at the time that's how you felt. How do you feel about that now? Like can you just still think like, oh that was true, or or do you feel like, oh, that's just one person's opinion, so it doesn't really matter? Like with hindsight. Mm. I do like to be quiet. I feel like there's obviously there's something in that. And I think I wonder what triggered that person to to write that about me. Mm. I think that a lot. I think, oh, I wonder what was going through that person for them to respond so like offended by me. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I do I think about that quite a bit. But I also do think that uh, you know, we're always learning, aren't we? I think um I we had a week rehearsal and I'm like, oh, that was a quick up you know to get a show up and out a week was quite a quick turnaround I think I learned a lesson there of like it was an arts council bid and in an ideal world you'd have three weeks rehearsal for a show (laughs) minimum um yeah I I think I I think some of the elements of that review were true equally I'm like 
what the hell does a review mean? And I think if you mm. take the five stars, Michelle Payne is a marvel or whatever else the other thing said. <laughs> now, obviously, I'll never remember word for word because it wasn't the two star that slated me. But like, <laughs> you know what I mean? If you take if you take one of them seriously, you have to take them all seriously. So like, yeah. it actually is easier to just be like, use the ones you need to leverage to get you the next job or the next, you know, to sh- to be able to write around and shout about yourself to people for your next job. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I always tell students it because I think there's so much fear, especially with social media and like mm. or, um, Hannah Laufer's got it at the moment, hasn't she, with six people recording her. She's a swing. They've been recording her or alternate. They've been recording her first performances and putting it immediately on socials. Yeah. She's like knowing that's going to happen. Do you know what I mean? When you're the understudy and it's your first show and but you know that that's fundamentally going to end up with an access reach of x amount of people online yeah yeah, so again with I think with the way the industry is going everything is such an instant response of like if things are good or if things are bad that we sort of yeah we have to I always always tell my students that like and any actors I work with I always say I always like lead with that. The worst thing about this play is Michelle Payne so that they know <laughs> I'm on their team. Like it's not like as a director, you can't just, you know, shy away from your own bad reviews when you've directed, like, you, you know, it's a joint process and ownership of things. And yeah, I just want them to know that essentially I'm still alive, even though it was a really horrible thing to say and to read. Um, but yeah, in the grand scheme of the world, it, and it yeah. is it's because it's microscopic though isn't it that's the thing and um i i i no, i don't think i've ever had any uh or read any criticism about my acting um uh i mean i've read reviews of stuff i've been in what's interesting is when you're not mentioned then it's kind of like okay but but i think i think that's better i think yeah all right if you didn't like what someone did then there's no point in saying it you just don't mention them so just just write what's good about something and i think that's sort of maybe an interesting way to review um yeah, yeah. I, 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 i've always found it funny when i've had what i've had feedback and criticism the most for is my writing um so what i've learned from that process is like taking what's actual criticism uh, and and then deciding what to do with it and ignoring what is taste yeah, so yeah, so yeah. so if it's You're just right. like oh i didn't like this thing it's like well all right well that, hey that's not helpful if you didn't yeah. like it, you didn't like it. Um, I didn't make it for everybody to like it. That's an impossibility. Um, but it's when you get, in, uh, and then it's like, well, who's reviewing it? When you get criticism like, why did the female character have more lines than the male? It's like, oh, God, like. Who's <laughs> counting? <Yeah. laughs> exactly. And, <laughs> and why, why do I have to justify my art to you? Um, it's uh, it's yeah. just, it's it's just so odd or um oh there's nothing that puts me off worse than the first line of the play starting with a swear word and i'm like what yeah i'm sorry this isn't church like you know (laughs) we're writing about emotions and sometimes people swear yeah yeah sometimes they're sweary yeah (laughs) that's so funny yeah so it's it's really also i think it's really important with criticism is is to take like what what first 
work out what is taste and what is actual constructive criticism. Um, and I'm sorry, um, the worst thing about this play, Michelle Payne, is is not constructive criticism, but it doesn't tell you anything. Um, <laughs> well, it, because it I could not like, I could not like, I could not <laughs> like someone's performance. That doesn't mean that performance was bad. It just means I didn't yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so how funny. Yeah. Yeah. Bollocks. Anyway, I, I saw the play and I thought you were great. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> so, Thank you. You've mentioned a couple of things, but do you have do you have a funny or cringeworthy audition story that stands out? Not for me specifically, I don't think. I I was on the panel for one of the worst auditions I've seen because just because the person was quite rude. Like oh, and oh. he so there was an it was an actor auditioning for, I think we were taking it, we were taking it to Edinburgh. We were taking an, it was a new play. We were taking to Edinburgh pre-COVID, which obviously didn't happen because it would have been the summer of 2020. Um, and I can remember we'd seen a few people and the first guy we'd seen of the day was great and really good vibes. And then a couple of people in, this guy was like, uh, I was sat next to the writer or the the two writers and one of them was a producer as well and um he did his did did the speech and I gave him a little bit of redirection and he was like yeah actually I wanted to talk about this because I think I could rewrite this (laughs) (laughs) and I was like oh uh and I looked at the writers and was like he could he could could just rewrite this (laughs) and I was like um I don't think that would be necessary like thank you for your offer yeah that's not what you're here for (laughs) shut up yeah I was literally like oh my god at least land the job first Jesus um and I was like oh and I I remember just being so sort of dumbfounded by it that Mm. and and then you have to bring it back don't you and I sort of was like oh what like and I was like, let me humor this. And I was like, what what in the material is like jarring for you? Um, and it was a it was a story of sexual assault, and he was auditioning for um the 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 the, the male part who right. had committed sexual assault. And uh, he was like, Yeah, I just like he's a nice guy that sexual assaults, and I was like, I think that's the point. Like I and I was literally like, oh, God, I don't even want to have to justify this. And I sort of we let him talk. And then I was just like, thank you very much for your time. I like just wore out his audition slot and let him go because I thought you're never going to get the part when you, you've you obviously not got like the vibe. But that the off in front of the writers offering to rewrite it was just a little bit too bold a move um, in my eyes. It was yeah, it was quite a lot of. Oh, it was just so heavy. It was so heavily put in front of us. Mm. And again, for somebody that works very collaboratively, I think if if there were questions or feelings, I think there's, you know, there's another way of it could be like, um, you know, how much input, like, is has it just been written by women? Is it just the creative team, just women? Like, there's some uh, stuff that I experience as a man that I would love to like bring to this process. Like, I think that I think yeah, there's yeah. other ways of, you know. <laughs> wording that then I'm gonna rewrite this play for you um I thought write your own play hun yeah (laughs) I mean you can't yeah you you can't turn up to an audition and say well 
first of all, what I think you've got here is shit. Um, <laughs> and I can do better. Like, you can't, you can't do that. And I think huh. um, uh, this is like, I always bang on about this, but like, this is why I think only audition for things that you've made some sort of connection with. Yeah, okay. yeah. I, I know. I know. Like when when you're an actor, like when you start out, I think I was putting myself up for everything. You can't do everything, and mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you're not good at everything. Yeah. Um, there is so many things I'm not good at, and so when you see a casting notice for something, or whether your agents put you up for something, like you know, and you find out more about it, you need to think like, well, what what can I offer, right? And um, what what can I bring to this? And uh, how do I connect with this? What are my interests? You know, what's interesting about me getting involved in this project? And it's it's really bad. Having been on the other side, we both have been, uh, we've had to cast people for our own projects. In fact, we've been in a casting room together when you helped me out yeah. one of my things. And yeah, yeah. Do you remember there was that one, that one chap that turned up who immediately from the get-go just seemed like he didn't want to be there? Yeah. Um, and you can tell from when people introduce themselves, like he just... And and I think like no, I will say like I go out of my way to make people feel comfortable and welcome and like we want yeah. people to do well. We want to bring out the best of whoever's performing. And um he just wasn't he wasn't giving anything in the audition and he was just sort of line reading and doing things exactly the same. There was no variation, there was no when we were trying stuff out. Yes. Um, yes, I do remember. It went I mean the role one of the roles went to the person who's auditioning with and I thought she was yeah one, one of the main reasons not one of the main I gave the role because she was outstanding but one of the things I noticed was that she had to deal with this as well as the audition process she had to deal yeah. with someone not giving her anything nothing um and I just think like just don't just don't get it's a waste of time um yeah like, everyone's time you know but he you know he was he was young and it's and it's hard like you do feel like you have to put yourself up for just anything and get a role and you want to build credits or, or whatnot uh, but I think yeah, it's really awkward but yeah don't go in and tell someone the work is shit it's just not you not only will that not get you that job <laughs> oh my god might, yeah people might talk about it on a podcast yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah 100% that's literally burned into my memory that experience that's such a yeah. shame and what what about yourself? How did you? I mean, obviously you've, you've spoken about like with criticism things, but how how do you deal with rejection um, in in an audition process or any rejection oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So you you know this, but I'll say for the benefit of everybody is that I do a hundred rejections every year as like a a goal. I've not done very well this year. I do have to caveat it that. <laughs> um, and that uh, I read on a blog a few years ago that it was like. Uh, aim for 100 rejections and it was specifically about uh, women not applying for things for feeling you know if they're ever so slightly underqualified or meet two out of the five things or three out of the five things they won't apply for it unless they hit all five of the like desired criteria Mm. Um, and it was about like shifting your mindset around like applying for things and they were like the way that you can try and do this is to try and get 100 rejections in a year if you can get a hundred rejections, it means you've applied for enough things that laws of probability and statistics say that something will land. So out of the hundred rejections, you're more likely to get yeses because you've applied for more things. So I was like, right, let's try it. And I think, you know, the first year I got like 70 rejections. I didn't quite meet the hundred. 
So I think I got like seven or eight yeses of things. Um, amazing. And like relatively like small things, like little grants here and there. Um, and then, yeah, I did it last year and now this year I'm doing it. I think this year I've only applied for, I did have it open actually, this year. Ah, this year I've applied for 48 things so far. So I've wow. not really badly. Um, and I've had 28 rejections so far. Some of these I'm still waiting for. But from that, I've had 15 interviews. And these are not like, these are not like, you know, I got a coffee with a director who's just graduated and wants to make something together, but it never happens. Like, these are now becoming things of like, big venues, big shows. And I think the the difference in my 100 projections from three years ago to now is is the quality of like interviews I'm now landing so my successes are way less <laughs> and this year I've only had one success um after being on a short list and then I got it but everything else has been interview short list long list um final four like oh, they've all been but again like elevated standard from last year and some of these things that I've been long-listed short-listed final four for the people that have interviewed me have said we know you didn't get this job however in you know our participation department there's a show that's coming up that we think you'd be perfect for so so like I've had offers off the back of those things so like although the linear 100 rejections this year is looking very bleak <laughs> It's look. It's been it's been quite a, a terrible year in terms of actually landing the things I've wanted. The word of mouth has surpassed the sort of blind, cold um, interview processes. Mm. But again, like I really do think it's laws of probability. If you're getting lots of no's, there's a yes coming. I'm just I just really do think that. And like sometimes when we get our yeses too easily, means that we're not stepping up to where we could be mm. and I, I think that's exactly why my rejections have been so high this year and my uh, applications are a bit lower because I have been going for the artistic director roles I have been going for the big buildings and the big musicals and you know I've I, it's and actually getting in the room for them when last year and the year before I wasn't so yeah, yeah it is a it is a long game and I do think in the end I, I'll probably be able to work out like a percentage of things applied for and how many things I'm likely to get. Yeah. Um, eventually there'll probably be some sort of statistic for me as a artist but I mean that's the maths problem I'll try and get someone to work that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I always used to say like you should try and apply for one thing a day and that can be uh, it could be anything like if you're applying for acting job or writing work or um course to getting in touch with someone you want to have a meeting with like it's yeah. just constantly it's putting yourself out there and saying i'm a just, creative uh, and i want to and i want to create and um, give me a chance i actually do think it is worth saying and again in the interest of like transparency because i think if i heard that i'd maybe be like um 
like getting collecting rejections I'd maybe be like I'll give it a rest like that do you know because again in high like I've I'm doing all right at the moment I'm about to start a drama school show and I've got a showcase for a new musical next week so like I'm aware I'm riding a bit of a high at the moment but like in June I interviewed for maybe like six things and they all came back as a no and I got shortlisted for a directing award and didn't get any further um I got uh, the, and the the thing that absolutely did me in is I into I got an email from Cameron McIntosh's office saying you've been recommended um, to interview to be resident director on the UK tour of Hamilton, and I was literally like, oh my god, th- this is it, this is it. of course, like I'm perfect for that. That is a hundred percent up my street. Um, I love the show, I love the music, I love what it stands for. Um, like Lin Manuel Miranda is a idol of mine in terms of writing and like churning out material um I was like this is this is this has to be me like the stars have aligned and obviously we're, we're well aware on this podcast I'm not currently resident director on the UK tour of <laughs> um, <laughs> but I went I went to the interview and I went into Cam Max office and met with uh the general manager and uh the producer or she, I think she, uh yeah the was she the ex-company manager? I can't remember. But really nice women. Oh, my God, we got on so well, like back and forth. Um, Really, really good chat. And I was like, I'm going to be the resident director on the UK Tour of Hamilton. I came bouncing out of that interview. I'd popped in to see my agent in Soho. I was like, wow, who'd have thought, you know, in this... Uh, and I think that morning I'd had an interview with the National Theatre for the New Work Studio about staff directing. And it was just like a general meeting, but like to put me on the books to be a staff director. So I was like, I'm finally doing it. I'm finally doing this creative thing of like two huge meetings in one day. I've popped into my agent. This is, this is the life I want to live. <laughs> and two days later, I got my rejection for Hamilton. <laughs> and I was like face down in my bed and was like, I hate this industry. I hate <laughs> myself. I hate everything about this situation. And I was actually like, they've probably interviewed like three people for it. And like, I'm still not sure who got it actually. And I'm sure they're absolutely brilliant, but like probably all of the people they interviewed were brilliant because it's the nature of the industry, right? There's we're just all really good. Um, well, that's, that's, I think that's what I was gonna say. Like it's not you you did get the job because they thought you couldn't do it like you can you can do the job like and and it's really important what's really important about this story though is that like having the confidence like to to, you know you knew you could do it and you still can do it and you might do it i would have liked it it, but if they leave i'm gonna be like (laughs) i'm still available you know and it's the same it's the same with acting it's the same with writing it's like these are all things you are capable of doing and that and um you know the important thing to remember is like okay so none of us are entitled to any of these jobs like it's yeah, it's it's, so it's, it's, it's a dream but like it does come down to just if someone someone's going to make the choice it's out of your hands and yeah. if you've got that far it's not because you're not talented it's you know that's not that's not why you didn't get it so um yeah and I, I think it's brilliant that you, you you had that interview. I mean, that's I know I know it's Amazing. I know it's not the outcome you wanted, but I, I still see that as a huge win on your on your sort of journey. Like like yeah, you said, yeah. you weren't getting you weren't getting that interview last year or the year before. So that means, oh my god, nowhere yeah. near. I get my again. I, yeah, I wouldn't have got it. 
Um, I wouldn't have even got in the room. You're right. Something's coming. Um, it's just not yeah, that. It's just not that right now. And that, the, like the spiral out of that, I have virtual assistants for my ADHD, like for access to work. So they help me manage like my email inbox and, um, yeah, just help me sort of with my calendar and color code everything for me. And, um, when I didn't get that job obviously they see the email as well and they're like mate we're so sorry like we love you we think you're amazing and and I was literally like we need to go on to um Lakeside Shopping Centre website I'm going to apply to be a supervisor in Lindsay Shoes I'm giving it up and they were literally like <laughs> what but what and literally I filled in all of these applications because I was I, literally there and then I was like I'm quitting directing I'm quitting it I can't do it anymore and and again from June to now I'm like what an idiot <laughs> I was so ready to like just pack it all in like and that I think that's that's the that again that's the only time I've seriously been like I don't want to do this anymore um and that was just too many all in too many no's all in one go and that dream job just bang on the table off the table do you know what I mean <laughs> um that I was I, yeah I was like I'm just going to do something really um normal for a while save some money not panic not be scared to check my email in case I get another rejection so yeah I think it is worth yeah when you when you weigh up the highs and lows of it right of that I'm like that you're right that was a really good opportunity and very yeah a year ago would not have even got that interview mm. um perspective but at the time I was <laughs> applying for any job <laughs> to, to get away from being rejected but yeah that's the one time that I've like properly wobbled um yeah <laughs> and it's all Cameron McIntosh's fault <laughs> <laughs> well Let's, let's switch up the rejection talk. I now want you to um, say something that you're proud of that you've done creatively. Hmm. I think I get. I think it is the resilience. Like I think I'm proud that I'm still doing it. I I was teaching on Saturday, and I was like, uh, I, I used to go to West End Kids as a older teenager, and I remember. I I, I said to these kids, like, I remember when. Um, I was your age and I was here um and like now I was a West End kid 15 years ago <laughs> and now I'm a, a full-time director and playwright and I was like I earn a hundred percent of my money like whether it, it, it sometimes it's teaching musical theatre but less often than it used to be I was like but I earn yeah a hundred percent of my money through directing and writing now and that is something that I wasn't I wasn't sure I would ever be able to say mm. and it, it's only from last year this year I had that scary month in June where the money I'd saved from the end of the Bugsy Malone tour sort of tidied me over and I did picked up a bit more teaching but it's the first year I've had back-to-back -back jobs one went into the next and again it was only that June where I was so scared that I wouldn't get anything um but next year I have enough creative projects lined up that I know I earn a certain amount of money to cover like a base salary and then anything that comes up is a bonus in the in the time off and again yeah. that's the first time that I've had that <laughs> so I'm really I'm proud that I've managed yeah. to 
managed to do that. And I saw off the back of so much hard work, I think you're like you're one of the most hardworking people I know in, in who is a creative. Um, we're sort of in awe of how hard you work and with the hundred rejections. And yeah, I just think, I think you're brilliant. Um, oh, well, I think you're brilliant. I love <laughs> when I see you at like the Mercury or wherever we are and we get to catch up and chat. I just love it. Yeah. You're smashing it, mate. <laughs> I'll end this uh, the way I end all my podcasts, which is the questionnaire created by Bernard Pivot, who uh, inspired my favourite interviewer, James Lipton from Inside the Actors Studio. So, Michelle Payne, what is your favourite word? Bubble. What is your least favourite word? Um, moist. <laughs> What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Um, passionate people and like good energy. And what turns you off? Um, apathy. Hmm. What's your favourite swear word? Oh, I probably it's so boring. I do say fuck a lot. Fuck's sake, I love like. <laughs> For comedy, for comedy purposes. <laughs> you like a comedy fuck? <laughs> yeah, yes, 100%. <laughs> um, and what sound or noise do you love? Um, oh, that's a really good one. I did, oh, it's changed my life. Brown noise for ADHD brains. Brown noise, it's just, it's like a, not white noise, it's called brown noise. It's Ooh. amazing. So, oh my god i can focus with it in the background i'll have to look that up that sounds really interesting Do it. it's it's so good for me oh yeah and what what sound or noise do you hate um oh it's so horrible but like out of tune singing <laughs> i know that's really mean but when someone <laughs> really can't sing and they're really having a bash at it shut up yeah sorry <laughs> Oh, it's just cringe, because what are you supposed to say? Well done. You can't lie, can you? Yeah. This is why I don't go to karaoke. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, my God, I'd love to be an astronaut. <laughs> Such a shame that I, I didn't go to a school that equipped me with the expertise to be an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> didn't go to space camp. I didn't go space camp and I wish, yeah, I just wish I'd been a little bit better at like math science. Um, yeah. And what profession would you not like to do? Um, pro probably anything like high pressured, <laughs> high pressured. I want to be a theatre director. No, anything um, <laughs> like, like a doctor or something where like a lot of people's expectations life or death ride on me <laughs> yeah that's fair and if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the party gates i would like oh do you know what i'd like him to be like here's all your loved ones here's your little cat like do you know what i mean oh. i'd just like that i'd like him to be like here's everybody waiting for you yeah <laughs> that's the right yeah. answer 100 percent. yeah Gosh, Elle, thank you so much for being on the Dating Act podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so great to chat to you. I'll let it go. Get on with the rest of your life. Um, yeah, but, yeah, I've got one more application form to get in today and then, <laughs> and then I can have a little nap.
Well, big thank you to Michelle there for coming on the show and um, just delighting us with some really, really some great pieces of advice there. Um, I particularly enjoy delving into, you know, if you are to be cast in a show where you're the understudy, because there's something that's not talked about quite a lot. You know, obviously the discipline is the same. Um, you know, you have to learn your lines, and sometimes you have to learn multiple roles. Uh, so it's yeah, it was good to get an insight on that and what's required, and also, you know, I think there's a a, a different level of focus required because you could go on at any minute. I mean, it's kind of like um, being a super sub in a football match. So uh, yeah, that was really great to to learn about that side of things. So thank you so much for sharing. And uh, if you like the podcast, please um, give us a review and a five-star rating so other people can find it quicker. Tell someone about it. You could uh, post on social media, give me a shout out. I'm on Instagram and uh, Twitter. So you can find me there. Don't think that's podcast. Uh, If you've got any feedback, if you've got a cringeworthy audition story, if you've got any questions you want to be asked or you've got questions from any of the episodes you've listened to that you'd like some more information about, drop me an email. Don't think act podcast at gmail.com. Um, let's keep growing this creative community and um, let's stay creative. <laughs>